Hey, my name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. Thank you very much for being a part of our services this weekend. Uh, and, and who knew back in March when we were going to shut everything down for three to four weeks that five to six months later we would still be doing this, right? Like this is absolutely crazy. So thank you for hanging in with us uh, for, for this long. There are some uh, crazy consequences uh, to this, this quarantine. Um, there are some of us who are extroverts who are dying uh, because of the lack of social uh, stimulus. And there's others of you that are kind of, if you're going to be completely honest, okay uh, with with the isolation. Uh, some, some of you guys, the passive aggressive ones, uh, you enjoy going out in public with that mask and mouthing horrible things to total strangers, knowing that they can't see your, your lips moving. Uh, it, it, let's be honest, that is some of you guys. Uh, you might be a teacher, and, and I've heard this, that you just enjoy going out in public and not being recognized uh, by parents all over town. And so you're, you're enjoying a little bit of anonymity uh, and, and, and peace. Uh, others of us are just tired of smelling our own breath. Uh, in those stupid masks all day. I did read something uh, in the news that dentists are complaining at how bad everybody's breath and how much worse everybody's breath is now that they wear masks all, all day long. Poor dentists, right? Poor, poor guys. Uh, uh, but there are other far more severe consequences uh, to what we've gone through over the past six months. There are some severe uh, economic uh, consequences, financial consequences. Some of you guys have small businesses that you've had to close. Others of you have a friend who had to close a small business. I know one of the most uh, popular eateries in my town, Stoughton, closed down and, and, it, and it caused a huge stink on, on the Stoughton uh, Facebook Facebook page. Uh, others of you guys who knew uh, your businesses took off during quarantine. I heard of a, a roofing guy uh, in our church whose business has never done better. Like it, it defies, it defies logic. I'm just saying like it's affecting us in different ways. But relationally, I think we all feel disconnected. My wife and I were invited out to dinner uh, in Holbrook uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Billy Jane ended up being sick on the day of, but I, I went ahead and went because we just love this other couple. And the wife was telling me that I'm only the second person she's interacted with in person since March. Like that's, holy cow, like that. And, and some of you guys, it might be the exact same way. So you're, you're experiencing some significant relational disconnection, which then leads to another way in which we're suffering the consequences of this pandemic and, and the, the emotional toil. Uh, some of us that struggle with depression have never had to struggle with it as badly as we're going through it right now. Some of you guys, you never had experiences with depression until this. Uh, I know that social people like me, the, the longer we go in isolation, the more irritable we become, or, or so I've been told several times, right? But as a pastor, I think my biggest concern is the way that this is spiritually uh, Im impacting, impacting us. Um, and because of the spiritual consequences of what we're going through, uh, that being one of the main reasons why uh, we've decided to open up uh, at a smaller scale in all three of our locations on September 20th. Now, I know that for some of you guys, it's like way too soon. And for others of you, it's like, holy cow, it took you guys 
uh, so long. For the last month and a half, we've been experimenting with this. Uh, every other Sunday night, we've been doing a worship night and communion with some of our, our core team and some of our, our leaders just to kind of see how this would go. And everybody's done a fantastic job. We have a few medical doctors in our church that have told us, listen, as long as everybody wears a mask, we should be, we should be okay. So we're, we're opening up on a smaller scale on September, on September 20th. Uh, and some of you guys, you're, you're not ready for that. And that's completely okay. Uh, because, uh, we're going to keep doing church online like we're doing right now. And on September 20th, we're actually starting something brand new called Grace at Home. And you'll hear more about that next week. But regardless of what you decide about whether or not you're comfortable meeting in person yet, we're all experiencing the negative effects of something that God knew would be bad for us all the way back on the very first page of the entire Bible. The very first time God ever said something wasn't good wasn't when Adam and Eve ate the apple. It was actually before Eve ever came along. God created Adam, and then there was a period of time between creating Adam and creating Eve, and the Bible tells how long that time is, but it was long enough for God to say, it is not good that man should be alone. We weren't created for this type of isolation. It's not good for us. Let me say this also, and this is bonus material. I don't know that God ever created us to care, carry the emotional weight of the entire world's problems either right? Like only in the last 50 years have we been aware of the problems that everybody in the entire world is going through. And I don't know if we were designed to carry that kind of, 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 of burden. So for some of us, that's the whole reason why you came to this today. And that's what you needed to get. Uh, but none of us were designed for isolation. We're creating the image of God. There's this crazy verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 that says this. Even in the Jewish Bible, it says this. Uh, and then, and then God said, and the word for God is a singular word, God, one God. And God said, let us make man in our image. It's crazy in that there's a singular noun, uh, used for God. And then there's two plural pronouns to describe that one God. Now, Christians have invented a word to describe that aspect of the nature of God, but Christians aren't the one who invented that. It's on the very first page of, of the entire Bible. The point I want to try, uh, that I'm trying to make is that even God himself dwells together with himself in community. And we, being created in the image of God, crave and need a community also. And that's kind of what we're, we're not getting. And there are significant uh, consequences uh, to what we're going through. The cool thing is that God solved uh, mankind's problem of isolation then. And I believe that God has given us something to solve uh, our isolation even now. What God gave Adam was Eve. And then he gives himself to her fully. She gives herself to him fully. They start putting the needs of the other person in front of them. They eventually have children. They live together. And the very first thing that God created, the first like community unit was a, a family. And then God uses family and the metaphor of the family and even the terms used to describe family to describe his relationship with those of us who would follow him by faith throughout the entire Bible, both the Hebrew Bible, the Greek Bible, the, the Jewish Bible, and the Christian New Testament. God refers to himself as a, follow, a father. He calls Abraham and their descendants 
to be his sons and daughters. Now, they were by blood in family relationship with each other. And then when the Messiah comes through the bloodline of Abraham, and just like God had said in the Jewish Bible that the Messiah would be a light to all of the Gentiles, that's those of us who are non-Jewish, we then also get to become a part of the family of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, there's this really cool uh, passage of Scripture where it says that, uh, that when you and I get to the place where we recognize that we have disobeyed God's laws and been selfish towards our fellow man, we recognize that we've fallen short of God's expectations. That's sin, and our sin separates us from God. Now, there's nobody more concerned about your separation and my separation from God than God Himself. So what He does is He provides a solution in the person of Jesus. The Bible says that God shows up in the human story as a man and lives his entire life without ever breaking God's laws, earning himself immunity or innocence. Because truthfully, the only person who can take the place of somebody who's guilty is somebody who is innocent. That's the reason why I can't pay for your sins. I have my own. You can't pay for mine. You have your own. Jesus, on the other hand, had a clean slate. He then could take on the sins of the world. Now, if Jesus is only a man, he can only take on the sins of one other person. But because he's God as man, in quality, his life was worth more than the sum of every man or woman who's ever lived. So his death, burial, and his resurrection fully pays off the debt of all of mankind, any of mankind who would repent of that debt, of that sin. And to those who turn from their sin, accepting Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, as the only thing that pays off their sins against God and against their fellow man, God says this too in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Here's what he says. When you do this, when you accept Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as the only thing that pays off your debt, you call on me to forgive you, and you commit to following Jesus. He says, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You get adopted into God's family. Now, while everybody is created in the image of God, not everybody is in the family of God. I know that's a common thing to say. It's just not biblically accurate. But anybody could be in the family of God. It says, I, I will adopt you. Like, I, I will be your dad, and, and you will, but you've got to come out from the sins of your past. You've got to find your identity not in the things that you do or the things that you crave or in your brokenness, but you've got to find your identity in my son, Jesus. And then I, I'll, I'll, I'll be your father. You'll be, my, you'll be my sons and daughters. So uh, whether you are in the household of faith or not, whether or not you are a Christian, uh, you and I both need healthy relationships. So what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be uh, backing out of our isolation spiritually in the same way that we're backing out of it, that isolation uh, physically. When, when quarantine started, we stopped meeting in the larger groups, then, then the, the, the small, smaller groups, and then we even broke off proximity to those people that were closest to us. And then as we're starting to get towards a place where we can let go of this isolation and quarantine, one of the first things you probably did was pick up that close relationship with those two or three people. And then maybe even a smaller group of people that you work with possibly, or maybe just your group of friends, or maybe it's some of the parents of some of your 
kids' friends, possibly. And then the last thing that will come will be, you know, the, we'll be able to go to stadiums and, you know, and, and to basketball games and, and, and that kind of stuff. So that's going to follow the same outline of our series where we're talking about those relationships that God has designed and given to us uh, to help us uh, in, in, in close relationship and then, and then in smaller groups and then, and then in, in, in larger group. Uh, there's a survey that came out last year. 2019, uh, that studied um, the way that we identify uh, with loneliness by age group. Uh, what you might find surprising is that those who identified as being the least lonely were the 65 and older. Uh, you would think because there are less of them, they might feel more isolated, but it's not true. Surprisingly, the age group that identified as being most lonely most often is the 16 to 34 year olds. So if you find yourself in that demographic, I genuinely believe that this teaching series is going to be a blessing to you as you find out what God's given to you to help you solve that internal problem that creates problems in, in, in all of the external areas uh, of your life. Uh, you can Google the stats on the way that our, our loneliness, uh, isolation, um, affects us physically, affects us emotionally, uh, psychologically. It, it has huge, huge, huge effect on on the type of life that you live. We're not going to go into the too many too many uh, stats on this, but here's what I want you to know: uh, that God has given us uh, the solution in providing a surrogate family to meet our spiritual needs. I don't I don't know if you come from a, gr a, a good family or not. We, we come from all different types of families. But what I know is that your family was given to you by God to teach you what community looks like, to teach you how to relate to brothers and sisters and how to relate to authority figures in your life so that we would be able to wrap our heads around what it looks like to live in his family uh, with our brothers and sisters of, of faith and, and our relationship with God as our father also. But there are some things that your family can't do for you. Uh, they, they can't, or I don't know, maybe, maybe that, maybe that person we're going to be talking about today is somebody that's in your family, but some of your families while providing every other need in your life might not have been able to provide for you, uh, the, the spiritual coaching and mentoring, um, that you were, you were designed to have. Um, but the truth is we need people with whom we can be vulnerable in the, in, 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 in spiritual matters. Uh, in, in all matters, you need two or three people that can that have access to the most personal parts of you that you don't share on your social media platform that you keep a little bit guarded, maybe even from other people in your family because it's so personal. But somebody needs to have access to that for you to be emotionally and spiritually healthy. You need a group of people that you can live around socially. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. And you also need a group of people with whom you can make a meaningful impact and serve a greater cause. And, and then we'll be wrapping up this series on week four with an opportunity for you to kind of tell us where you're at or which one of those areas uh, you, 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 need, you need prayer in or, or you need uh, maybe some extra resources to help you become healthy in, in those areas. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about that, that, closest, that closest friend. And, and I'm going to say biblically, you need two things from them. The first thing that you need from that person is that you need someone who's going to challenge you. Some of you, your best friend might be somebody that you hang out with all the time, but that's not my question. My question is, does that person challenge you in your faith? Do they, do they push you towards spiritual health or do they pull you farther from it? 
So that's the first thing. They need to be somebody who, who can challenge you, somebody who can, who, who can push you. Now, now, Moses had this, and we're going to read about the guy that had access to him, that he gave access to, actually. The guy's name is Jethro. He's in Exodus chapter 18. So if you've got your Bible, uh, I'm going to start reading there in verse 13. Here's what it says. The next day, uh, Moses uh, takes his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law, we know from other passages of Scripture that his name is Jethro, but when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, "Why? What are, you, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do this all alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? See, Moses is like, he's Moses. Like, he's the greatest, greatest Jewish prophet. That's who Moses is. Like, Moses is at the top of the chain uh, in, in, in Judaism. Like, who can challenge Moses, right? And truthfully, I would say that the more successful you are, uh, however you define success in your life, uh, the less likely it is that someone has this kind of access to you. Uh, Mainly because the people that used to uh, take those opportunities are are intimidated possibly, or uh, don't feel that they have that uh, relational closeness to you and are afraid that if they tried to speak into that area of your life that it would damage the relationship. And so out of the, the value they place on your relationship, uh, you, go, you go unchallenged. Uh, there's nobody who's, who has the right to pull you aside and say, bro, what, what are you thinking? But the truth is, I, I don't care who you are, if you're Moses, you need somebody who can pull you aside and go, dude, like, what are you doing? I don't think this is healthy for you. I don't, like, your life is way out of control. Like, this is not a healthy, this isn't sustainable. Like, this isn't good for your marriage. This isn't good for your relationship with your kids. This isn't good for your financial health. This isn't good for your heart, right? Like, we need somebody like that. Mo- Moses had it. And that's what his father-in-law says. So Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. Uh, that's why I do this. Uh, when a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them their, their, their instructions. This is not good, Jethro said. Bro, that's, but and that might be what needs to happen, but you doing all of it, that's, this isn't good, dude. That's not good. Uh, you're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me. He says, and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to them, but, and then he gives them all of these different adjustments that he can make, so that he can continue to do what he's responsible for, but in a much more sustainable way. The point I'm trying to make is that even Moses had somebody that he let speak into his life, give him advice, in which he would listen and adjust his behavior. Who is that person for you? You you have somebody like this for finances, right? Like you've got an academic advisor. Uh, You've got somebody who'll do this. Maybe you've got um, um, uh, an academic advisor, uh, a financial counselor. Like like we've got, you've got a workout partner. You already let people do this in almost every other area of your life. Why is it so difficult for us to give somebody this kind of access in the area of our faith. The part of our life that we say is most important, we are least transparent with. Like how in the world is that good for me? How in the world can that be good for you? 
Moses had grown slowly into an unsustainable place in his life and had grown uh, nose blind to his dysfunction. I've experienced it in my own life. I, I told you at the beginning of the teaching, I showed you the example of the ceiling in our kitchen. But relationally, uh, there's a period in, in my life where I was stressed, but it, it happened slowly. And uh, I became, um, the word my wife describes it as, as badgering. I, I was badgering her and the kids. And the neat thing is that I do have the kind of relationship with my wife where she has spiritual influence uh, in, in my life. She, she takes the responsibility and does it in such a way that I'm receptive to. Uh, and hopefully I, I've done the same in, in her life. But she's pulled me aside and she said, listen, if you keep doing this, you're going to push the kids away from you. Like I, I'd gone nose blind to the, to, to the, to the dysfunction uh, that I had, had created because it crept in so slowly. And I'm wondering what areas of your life are spiritually dysfunctional that you don't even notice anymore. Maybe there was a period of your life where you were like really healthy and on fire for God. And I wonder if I showed that person a snapshot of your life uh, at, now that you're this person. I wonder what that person would say to you. But it happened so slowly that you didn't catch it. And truthfully, there's no one that you've allowed close enough to you like a Jethro to say this is not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for the people that love you. It's not good for the people that you serve. You need a, a better path. I have a guy named Danny Crawford who calls me and does this for me. Uh, there's other people in our church like Aaron Christian and Shelton Perkins. They're, they're, they're great examples of this in their circle of friends. Uh, but if we're not careful, we're going to continue to drift towards dysfunction. Uh, we drift away from spiritual health, not, not toward it. And, and sadly, it happens so slowly that often we don't notice it until we've done irreparable damage. So here's my question. Uh, can you make a list of two or three Christian friends that you respect? Can you do that? Like right now, think, who are two or three friends that you have who share your faith who are Christians? Can you commit to spending more time with them? What that's gonna take is for you being intentional. If you just wait for it to happen, it's never going to happen. It, but it needs, it, it, you need to be intentional about it. The second thing is it needs to be consistent. Maybe if you guys met together one Saturday a month, uh, every other week, possibly. Uh, maybe you're not a devoted follower of Jesus. And for this part right here, you want to become spiritually healthy, but you, you don't know how to get from where you're at to where that is. So maybe you could write down the names of two or three friends that you think might be Christian. And you can also be intentional about spending more time with them and asking them if they'd be willing to meet with you on a more regular basis or, hey, it, that sounds weird, but however you would say that in your friendship with them, right? That's what I'm asking you to do. If, if you pull out your cell phone and go to our Grace Church app, uh, you can uh, open up the app and you'll see uh, one of the icons there says groups. Uh, click on groups. It'll pull up life groups and growth groups. Uh, click on growth groups. It's in the smallest, smallest group of just those two or three people where we believe you are going to grow the fastest in your relationship with God and your spiritual health um, uh, and, and, and experience um, the most healthy transformation in your life. Uh, there's a short video uh, that I put in there uh, to kind of, kind of coach you through what this could look like to set up. And there's even a discussion guide if you wanted to use that to make sure that in your conversation with this other person, you actually get, in, get around to talking about spiritual things. Uh, and, the, and then the last thing you need. So number one, you need somebody who's going to challenge you. Number two, you need somebody who's going to support you. That's what you need. 
We need someone to support us. Saul's preaching, uh, the Bible says in Acts chapter, chapter 9, uh, became more and more powerful, uh, and the Jews and Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. That's Acts chapter 9, verse 22. Paul had uh, gone from persecuting Christians to becoming one himself, and then started using the Hebrew Bible to prove that Jesus really was uh, the Messiah, that Jesus really did need to die, uh, to be buried, and to be raised again, according to uh, the, the Scriptures. There's, there's just passages of Scripture that talk about that, that that we're not going into now, but the only Bible Paul had at the time was the Jewish Bible, and he was using that Bible to show people that Jesus really was the Messiah. And this was upsetting the status quo, and the Jewish uh, religious leaders of the day ha- were, were very uncomfortable with this. Uh, so here's what happened. So after a while, uh, some of the Jews plotted together to kill Saul, Paul. Uh, they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so that they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot, so during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, because, so he goes from Damascus uh, back to Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, uh, but they were all afraid of him. Uh, they did not believe that he had truly become a believer, a follower of Jesus. Then it was a guy named Barnabas. And this is the, only the second time he shows up in the whole Bible. The first time Barnabas shows up it, he's just in a list of things that happened early on in the church, and there was a guy named uh, Barnabas. I think his name was Joseph, who, whose name was also, or he went by Barnabas, I think that's what it was, who was from Cyprus, who sold property there and, and gave the entire thing to the kingdom of God through his local church. That's the first time he shows up. The next time Barnabas shows up, uh, he's risking his neck to help Saul become more than what he was and to start becoming the person God intended him to be. Who's your Barnabas? Bro, listen, I've got to have a Barnabas. I've got to have somebody who's close enough to me to know how I'm doing, who's not there necessarily to tell me what to do or how to get out of it, but it's that person who just says, I am on your team for life. If you don't have that, you probably would identify as struggling with everything I'm talking about. Like you, you have to have this. For you to become, this to me is the biggest danger in this entire quarantine, is the way that we've begun to pull away from the household of faith, like our church family, and all of those individual, and I'm not talking about a service, like you get the show on the weekend, that's not what I'm talking about. Like we need to be face to face with each other. Relationships aren't built by you watching me on this screen right now. Relationship is built when you and I are meeting up in Holbrook at a restaurant, right? Or when you and that other person that you used to meet with all the time, but you've, you haven't connected with them since. And truthfully, slowly over the last six months, you've become spiritually unhealthy because this person, your Barnabas, your supporter, your, your spiritual cheerleader doesn't have access to you anymore. You, you need this. Um, there's a period of time where Paul goes into Arabia. He goes there to uh, get away from another group of people that want to, this is right after he had become a follower of Jesus. Um, he, he goes there and he waits just long enough that he feels like the warrant out for his murder, his arrest, isn't there anymore. And then he goes back to Damascus. And in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17, we're told that he's in Damascus for, for three years. We don't know anything that happened during those three years. But here's what I know about Damascus and Saul's relationship with Jesus. 
is that when Saul first committed to faith in Jesus, he got knocked off of a donkey and God told Saul to go into Damascus and find a man named Ananias who will show you everything I want for you. So when Saul went back to Damascus, who do you think he went back to see? Ananias. And for three years, what was happening? Ananias was being his Barnabas. Saul becomes the apostle. Paul writes two-thirds of the New Testament. There's St. Paul cathedrals all over the world. He, next to Jesus and Moses, might be one of the most famous people who's ever lived. But we would have never had the apostle Paul had he not had his Barnabas. And Ananias is his name. I can't remember what name I said him in. I don't think it was Ananias, but Ananias. Who's your Barnabas and Ananias? You've got to have these people. You need someone you're comfortable spending time with to have meaningful conversations about spiritual things. Just this past week, I went over to Carlos Rodriguez's house. Carlos was there. Both of his sons were there. Um, Keith Ford was there. And John Oborski was there. And we're just hanging out on the back deck. Um, a couple of us were social distance. And uh, just hanging out, talking about nothing, until we started talking about something. And it was Keith Ford. Somebody in the group had said something that revealed a part of their heart that was broken. And God's Holy Spirit spoke into Keith Ford's heart in such a way that he caught it and felt he should say something. And then I watched Keith have this very delicate, tender, but bold spiritual conversation with this other person. And it would be a lie to say that that other person automatically got, got spiritually healthy. But over the next 20 minutes, you heard the conversation evolve in such a way that you got to see Keith Ford be Barnabas to this other guy. Who's your Keith Ford? Who's your John Oborsky? Who's your Carlos Rodriguez? Who's your Danny Crawford? Bro, listen, you're going to keep drying up on the vine spiritually until you let somebody close enough who follows Jesus like you do to pick you up when you're down. Somebody that you can pick up when they're down. Like you need like your, you need your Jethro. You need your Barnabas. And I don't know who those people are for you, but bro, here's what I know that you're not going to get spiritually healthy on your own. You've got to have them. I'm going to ask you if you would please to bow your head with me and we'll pray. I want you to evaluate whether or not you are in God's family. I'm not asking you if you love God and I'm not asking you if God loves you because I know the answer to both of them. I know the answer to the second one for sure is that God loves you. And you've hung on to this service till now. I mean, if you're still watching it, you have. So I'm assuming that there's something in your heart for God. My question isn't, do you believe in God? Even Satan believes in God. My question is, do you believe in God enough to ask him to forgive you for your disobedience towards him, your selfishness towards others? Are you willing to accept that only Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection pays off the debt you've created towards God? And will you ask him to forgive you and save you? If you would, ask him now. God, forgive me for sinning against you. 
I accept, Jesus, what you did on the cross for me was a payment for what I've done against you and against others, and I'm sorry. Take this out of my heart. Make me new. Give me a clean slate. Help me to follow you, Jesus, with the rest of my life. Make that your prayer. Maybe you're already a devoted follower of Jesus. I'm asking you to consider the quality of the relationships you have with other Christians. Next question, which Christian, which Christian friend are you close enough to to ask you uncomfortable questions? And which one of those friends are you close enough to to give honest answers? And if you can't think of that person, then I know for a fact what you need to be praying for. Dear God, help me to find that Christian friend. The Christian friend that will ask me uncomfortable questions about my relationship with other people, my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my dating partner, my, my, my finances, my physical health, my emotional health, uh, my work-life balance. God, give me that person who will challenge me, who will push me a little bit, who will help uh, shape me into the person that I need to become. Which Christian friend spends enough time with you to know how you're actually doing and is present enough to support and encourage you? And if you don't have that person, would you ask God for them too? God, every single one of us need each other. I, I need my, my biological family, there's no doubt about it. I need my, my, my surrogate family also, like the people that I'm living life with. And I'm thankful for those who are a part of that, who also share my faith. Not all of them do, but a lot of them do. But God, I'm especially right now, I'm uh, thankful for my, my, I'm thankful for your family, God. I'm thankful that you're my heavenly father. And I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters of faith. And God, I ask that you would, you would uh, like prompt each one of us uh, to look for the opportunity to develop a closer relationship with one of those brothers or sisters of faith that we can uh, get, get closer to, that who will uh, get to know us well enough to know if we're doing well or, or if we're not. And, and we'll, Offer to pray with us, who will broach the idea of having a spiritual conversation with us and help us to become the people that you intended us to be. God, that's my prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.